You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. On today's show, we're going to recap all the action from the weekend that was in SEC Week 7. Only four games to recap, so we'll spend a little bit more time on each one, but also we'll spend a lot of time on the Georgia-Florida game. My goodness, what an interesting game that one was. We'll dissect all of that, give you who impressed and depressed from Week 7 of the SEC. We'll also catch up with our buddy Mark Passwaters from AggieYell.com. We'll get his thoughts on Texas A&M, starting to look like one of the more impressive teams in the SEC. Yeah, there's Alabama. Yeah, there's Florida. But how about those Aggies? They could certainly run the table and be a problem for some teams out there. So we'll discuss that with Mark Passwaters in the final segment. And lastly, we'll look ahead real quick at some of the betting lines going into next weekend's games. A lot of surprising lines just looking ahead. we got all that coming your way. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe. Follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each and every day, five days a week. We are here for you. All right, let's recap the weekend that was. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. What a catch. Around the conference. Receivers to the left, single receiver to the right. Lone back behind Kellen is Devon A. Chain. Fake to him, Kellen in the pocket, throwing to the end zone. That's complete and a touchdown, Aggies! Coming across from right to left is Jalen Weidemeyer, and the Aggies score with 14 seconds left in the half. Two receivers to the left, single receiver to the right. Lone back behind Kellen is Devon A. Chain. Fake to him, Kellen in the pocket, throwing to the end zone. That's complete and a touchdown, Aggies! Coming across from right to left is Jalen Weidemeyer, and the Aggies score with 14 seconds left in the half. It was number seven, Texas A&M at South Carolina. I figured the Aggies were going to win this one, but I thought it would at least be a little close. I did not expect the Aggies to dominate like they did in this one. Start with the Aggie offense. Over 530 yards of total offense. Kellen Mond and company were 12 for 16 on third downs. 26 total first downs. Mond throws for four touchdowns. Isaiah Spiller, he runs for over 130 yards. And I can't believe how poorly a Will Muschamp coach defense has looked their last two games for South Carolina. On the flip side, the Aggie defense was as dominant as we have seen them. They hold Colin Hill to eight completions on 21 passes, just 66 yards through the air and two interceptions. Ryan Holinsky would come in for him, but Mike Bobo should be embarrassed as the Gamecock offense mustered just 150 total yards of offense and only three points versus Texas A&M. After the game, Will Muschamp was asked how about how the fans are not happy. Muschamp said, I hope they're pissed off because I'm mad as hell. Booger McFarland tweeted out after the game, Hey, South Carolina fans, help me out here. What do you honestly believe your ceiling is with Will Muschamp? Not national champs. Let's be realistic here. I think realistic Gamecock fans would at least expect to compete for the East every two to three years. They are not doing that currently. So you have to wonder where the program is headed with Will Muschamp. For the Aggies, man, if they're trying to make their case to get into a play the playoff at year's end, as one of those best one-loss teams in the country, well, 
Saturday certainly helped their case. The Aggies win 48-3. Sitting at 5-1, the Aggies, they have games remaining at Tennessee, home for Ole Miss and LSU, and at Auburn. They will very likely be favored in almost all those games. For South Carolina, that went over Auburn feels like it was eons ago. Suddenly you are 2-4. Some real toss-up games ahead with Ole Miss, Mizzou, Kentucky, and of course a really tough one against Georgia. If Will Muschamp finishes 3-7, and seven, is that enough for them to consider making a change at South Carolina? We will see. Right now it's Simmons right on top of Stromberg. Franks pulls it back, surveys, has plenty of time. Now he unloads, got a man, caught, Arkansas first down, Arkansas touchdown! Now I'd pick Tennessee in this one on Friday because I thought the Vols would get back to running the ball well, and they did that. Eric Gray ran for 123 yards and a touchdown, but that was basically the only positive for Tennessee. The Vols' problem at quarterback reared its ugly head once again. Jared Carantano just 5 for 8 for 42 yards through the air. The Vol defense played really well in the first half. They led 13-0 at halftime. But, man, Arkansas came raging back in the third quarter. Scored all 24 of their points in the third. And Tennessee finally decided to make a quarterback change. Brian Moore, he would not fare any better. He would go 0 for 4 in the air. And finally, we would get to see the freshman quarterback, Harrison Bailey, who would throw a couple of good passes, but he would throw two interceptions. And you have to think perhaps that is why Jeremy Pruitt has been so bullish on sticking with Garantano at quarterback. The other choices didn't look a whole lot better. Wes Rucker tweeted out, why would you put Bailey in the game and just hand it off? Seriously, I flipped over. My buddy says, hey, you got to see it. Harrison Bailey's in. Hand off, hand off, hand off, hand off. He's just going, when is he going to throw? And as Wes Rucker said, when you coach scared, your team plays scared. Tennessee certainly looked scared in that second half. On the flip side, Arkansas's offense, man, they got back to looking really solid there in the second half. Felipe Franks throws for over 200 yards, three touchdowns. Can't say enough about how good Franks has been for the Razorbacks. Traylon Burks with 95 yards and a touchdown receiving. But Barry Odom, he got that Arkansas defense back on track this week, holding Tennessee under 300 yards of offense. Two more interceptions to bring their season total to 12 which leads the nation for most interceptions. For Tennessee, remember when they were on that eight-game win streak dating back to last season? Well, they are now on a four-game losing streak at 2-4 and four overall. And during their four-game losing streak, they have been outscored 88-7 to seven in the second half of games. Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney really have to figure out what to do with the quarterback spot moving forward. Do they stick with Garantano? Do they just roll with Harrison Bailey the rest of the year and see what they have in him? It won't be easy knowing three of your last four opponents are versus ranked teams in A&M, Auburn, and Florida. And, oh, by the way, the Vandy game, well, if I'd say it's an automatic gimme, is they've been a thorn in the Vols' side in recent years. Vol fans have to wonder, in year three of Jeremy Pruitt, is the program headed in the right direction? And for Arkansas, look, debut season of Sam Pittman just keeps getting better and better. At 3-3, three and three, you are absolutely playing with house money. Even Kirk Herbstreit tweeted yesterday, at Pittman is his SEC Coach of the Year. And for a school that was 2-10 each of their last two seasons, Sam Pittman and his staff have already worked wonders. And even though they get a juggernaut this weekend in a trip to Florida, and they still have a game against number one Alabama remaining, they have very winnable games against LSU and Mizzou. So 5-5 five and five, certainly in play for Arkansas. 14 games, state leading by three. 
Two receivers each way. Seals throws into traffic. Intercepted by Marquis Spencer. Running left to right to the 40, to the 50. And Big Marquis takes it into Vanderbilt territory before he's escorted out of bounds inside the Vandy 45. You know, for a game that I'm sure a lot of you did not watch because you were watching Florida Georgia, but Vandy Mississippi State turned out to be more competitive. Uh, for the first time in weeks, State's offense finally looked comp- uh, competent. Starter Will Rogers was able to move the chains. The Bulldogs led 17-0 at the half, but Vanderbilt, their freshman quarterback, Ken Seals, he would start to move the ball. Running back Keon Henry Brooks looked good, and a few times in the fourth quarter, Vandy was threatening. But that Bulldog defense, they stepped up three interceptions on Seals. And a late touchdown gave State a 10-point lead. Vandy was able to go down the score, uh, go down the field and score, make it a one-score game in the final minute. But a much-needed win for Mike Leach and Mississippi State, who could be headed for a 2-8 and eight season. We'll see how they look by the Egg Bowl in a few weeks. But for Vandy, games still remain against Florida, Georgia, Mizzou, Kentucky, Tennessee. It just looks more and more likely the Commodores are going to finish 0-10. At least some of their freshmen are giving them a little bit of hope for the future. All right, that is just about uh, all the games. We'll leave uh, Florida, Georgia, because we're going to recap that one next. We're going to spend a little extra time on that. And also a little bit later in the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about the Aggies with Mark Passwaters. All that coming up next. Hey, another fun weekend of football, another fun weekend of enjoying some ice-cold Coors Light. We talk about it every week. It is where you will find me every SEC Saturday. I'm locked in in front of my TV on the couch with an ice-cold Coors Light in my hand. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport just to drink beer. So as you're clicking back and forth between games, or if you're like me and you got the multi-TV setup, make sure you're doing it while your crowd can open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill, as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a weekend of just relaxation. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. And remember, we tell you this all the time, you can get Coors Light delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. here on Locked on SEC Recap in the weekend that was. Obviously, we recapped the uh, other three games in the conference from the weekend. I do want to spend some time uh, recapping the big game from the weekend, Florida and Georgia. My goodness, what an interesting game it turned out to be, especially early on, uh, all the early scores. But let's jump right into it. Inside the Georgia 25. Now here's Trask on play action. Throws it down the left sideline. Got a wide open receiver. It's Kamori Gamble. It's a touchdown. Kamori Gamble wide open on the left sideline for his first Gator career touchdown. Has given the Gators their first lead of the day. A battle two top ten teams. Number eight Florida at number five Georgia. I think we were all taken aback when on the first play of the game, Georgia running back Zamir White takes it 75 yards to the house for an early 7-0 Georgia lead. Florida would go three and out, and Georgia, they would go right back down the field. Stetson Bennett would find Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint for a 32-yard touchdown, and suddenly it's 14-0 Bulldogs. Florida's looking like they're in trouble. By the way, the Georgia receiver with one of the more gruesome injuries of the year on that play as his foot turned sideways on the tackle, he would need to be carted off. 
But no thanks to CBS for continuous, continuously re-showing the replay over and over before finally Gary Danielson noticed it and says, oh, oh my, maybe, maybe we should stop showing this. Shout out to uh, the receiver, though. I mean, kid is getting carted off and looks like he's just chilling on the cart. I would be crying my eyes out if <laughs> my, le- my foot was completely uh, twisted sideways. But uh, shout out to him. Thoughts and prayers go out to him. During that long extended timeout, though, I assume Dan Mullen got with Kyle Trask and said, hey, let's all settle down. Let's go to work. And Florida would. On the next drive, they would march right down the field and a touchdown pass to Justin Shorter will put the Gators on the board. Quick three and out by Georgia. And once again, Florida goes right down the field again, and we're tied 14 to 14. Stetson Bennett, he would take a shot up high, head to the locker room to get checked out. Dewan Mathis would come in for a series. I don't know if you saw on the sideline, but Dewan Mathis warming up would throw the ball at a trainer. Again, he's just trying to throw some warm-up tosses to get in. Right there, you were like, this is not going to go well. Uh, Dewan Mathis would come in for a series. They would go three and out, but Bennett would return. But a few minutes later, Kyle Trask would make a mistake. He would throw a pick six to Eric Stokes. That would make it 21 to 14 Georgia. So you're like, all right, Bulldogs are back in this. But again... Trask and Florida don't panic. They go right back down the field. 25-yard touchdown pass to Kyle Pitts. Ties the game at 21. Again, Georgia with more stalled drives. On the next drive, Kyle uh, Florida drive, Kyle Pitts would take a shot to the head. He would leave the game, but backup tight end, Kamori Gamble would grab the go-ahead touchdown, and Florida was not looking back. For Georgia throughout the rest of the first half, they could not get anything going. Too many three and outs, some pup subpar throws from Stetson Bennett at quarterback. And at the half, Florida man would jump out to a 38-21 lead. And you could just tell Georgia was in trouble if they couldn't come out on fire in the second half offensively. You have a second half interception by Stetson Bennett. Finally, Kirby says, you know what? I've seen enough. Dewan Mathis, you're taking over at quarterback. And as soon as he does, Dewan Mathis takes Georgia right down the field. A scoring drive to pull within two scores. Georgia's down 48, 41-28. They're back in this. But again, too much inconsistency on offense. And a couple of late interceptions by Dewan Mathis. That would leave us at 44-28 with a final and a Florida victory. The reality is Georgia's defense, they, they finally made some adjustments in that second half. They held Florida to just six points the whole second half. And that's mighty impressive considering all the injuries that the dogs had with guys that were out this week, guys who were leaving this game. But the damage was already done, and Georgia's offense could not do anything against that Todd Grantham uh, defense, which just really stepped up in the second half. All the negativity you've heard about the Florida defense in recent weeks, they finally got right. And the bottom line for Florida is you're ecstatic that your defense finally started playing well in that second half, and you have got an absolute Heisman contender in Kyle Trask at quarterback, 30 for 43, 474 yards, four touchdowns. We'll see what happens with Kyle Pitts and his injury moving forward, but a fun game against Arkansas and the Swamp coming this weekend. For Georgia, your biggest fear came to light on Saturday. We kept asking for weeks, can Georgia win with a game manager at quarterback in Stetson Bennett? And is he the best they can do? And I thought Dewan Mathis did some things well on Saturday, but Georgia fans have to be wondering, what is the deal with JT Daniels? Highly touted transfer from USC. Coming off that injury, sounded like in recent weeks he was healthy and ready to go. And yet here we are through six games. We haven't seen him. 
Booger McFarland tweeted that Georgia's starting to feel like LSU all those years. Talent everywhere except for the quarterback position. Now, Georgia goes to Mizzou this Saturday. May not seem like a big deal for Georgia, but a lot could depend on who they start at quarterback moving forward. Do we see JT Daniels at all this year? Is it Stetson Bennett the rest of the way? Did they like what they saw in Dewan Mathis despite, you know, take away the interceptions? It is a mess, and Georgia's not the only team in the SEC with quarterback questions right now. Quick note on Florida. Kyle Trask is on pace for 3,000 630 yards passing, 44 touchdowns, and six interceptions in Florida's 10-game season. Those are really impressive numbers. We'll see if he ends up throwing for that many, but my goodness, uh, Kyle Trask. I I said it before the year. He was my first-team preseason All-SEC quarterback, and so far, I'm not regretting that decision. I do maybe regret putting Bo Nix as my second or third team. Mac Jones certainly is, is up there, but Kyle Trask, no uh, no regrets in putting him up there. All right, when we return, we'll catch up with our buddy Mark Passwaters from AggieYell.com, get his thoughts on where the Aggies stand heading into the downstretch of this season. Hey, a quick minute for our friends at Built Bar. We tell you all the time, Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever, whether you're looking for something right after a workout, trying to shed some pounds, or just looking for a healthy snack between meals. you got to get your hands on a built bar they have 18 amazing flavors including six new ones i tell you all the time my favorite is the cookies and cream they are covered in chocolate soft and easy to chew and none of that gross chalky aftertaste you get from some of those other protein bars out there 17 grams of protein only 130 calories it is time to start making healthy snack choices and built bar is the way to do it i want you to go to their website right now builtbar.com and you can search them, search out the website, see what you want, add what you need to to your cart. But once you got your order ready to go, use the promo code Locked On, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, that promo code is Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, rocking and rolling here on Locked On SEC. We just finished recapping all the games that were this weekend in the conference. And I just wanted to, as I kept looking ahead, I'm like, man, Texas A&M was really in a spot to run the table and be in the conversation as one of the playoff teams. We saw Notre Dame beating Clemson over the weekend. You know, they'll probably play each other again, the ACC ACC title game. So, you know, there's going to be some other teams getting losses down the stretch of the season. If A&M keeps winning, they they will be in the conversation. So I said, let's catch up with our buddy Mark Passwaters from AggieYell.com, get his thoughts on the Aggies' beatdown of South Carolina on Saturday. Mark, what did you see from the Aggies over the weekend? Where Keanu Reeves' character starts fighting the, the, the computer guys and Neo, or the, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character goes, He's starting to believe. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing with A&M. They're starting to, to believe that they are a good football team, and they are. And they're just doing the fundamental things right. The big complaint that Jimbo Fisher has had lately was that they had not put together a complete game, that they have not dominated in all phases. You know, there'd be a game where the offense was great, the defense wasn't so good, the defense was great, the offense wasn't so good. Last night, everything worked. You know, you had a team – that just basically went out and played a classic SEC football. They physically beat up their opponent. And, you know, that, that's, the, that's the thing about this team now. 
you know, they, they're not winning with gimmicks. They're not winning with, you know, a great quarterback and Johnny Manziel and a freak wide receiver and Mike Evans and, you know, a gimmicky offense nobody has seen. They're just going out there and putting a hat on a hat and smashing people. And, you know, once you start believing you can do that, you know, what's to stop you from doing it again and again? I think that's what's so interesting, Mark, is we've seen A&M have good offensive linemen before. Jake Matthews, you know, we've seen guys who go in the first round. We've seen A&M with good defensive linemen. Miles Garrett was the number one pick in the draft. But I don't think we've seen them be dominant in both phases week in and week out. And that's what I'm seeing from this A&M team, at least each week of the season, is that they're dominating in the trenches on both sides. Has that been the difference maker in your mind? Absolutely. This is a team that is built in the classic SEC style. Run the ball, stop the run. You know, you, you take a look at that offensive line. And, you know, with the exception of Kenyon Green, the sophomore uh, left guard, you know, they're not anything special. But you have an experienced bunch who have worked together well. They've got a lot of starts under their belt. And they're just playing very good football. You know, they know they know how to operate with one another. They, they figured Josh Henson out, the offensive line coach. And they're just kind of beating people up. And on the other side, you take a look. They're very big up front. They're very athletic up front. You know, it's got a guy like DeMarvin Leal who's 290, but he's playing defensive end because he's fast enough to do it. You know, that's that's pretty nice. <laughs> and they can, they can go two or three deep at virtually every position. And, you know, if, you're not a, if you don't have a multi-purpose quarterback, a quarterback who can run, and they could just tee off on your running back, you're in trouble. And that's what, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what South Carolina learned last night with Kevin Harris. I think back to all those years with Johnny Football and, and the offense, and they've they had some decent running backs. But I just feel like Isaiah Spiller is a different breed. When I watch this guy, he just runs hard, he finds the hole, and he's, and he's gone, man, and carrying guys on his back. Uh, is Spiller one of the better running backs A&M has had in the past decade? Oh, yeah. Uh, somebody asked the question today, you know, who, who had the better line, 2012 or, or this year? And I said, well, 2012, it's one of the best of all time. But Spiller is the difference. He, Spiller is better than those running backs they had in 2012. This is a guy, he's 225 pounds. He can run over you. He likes to run over people. But he's got great footwork. I don't think anybody expected that he was going to be as agile as he's turned out to be. He's durable. He's really tough. I mean, this is this is a running an RB one in, in the classic Jimbo Fisher mold. And I think that honestly, you'd have to go back even farther than the last decade to find a running back at A and M who is as complete and as talented as Isaiah Spiller is turning out to be. I think everybody was so quick in the loss to Alabama, and again, it was so early in the season, but everybody was quick to dance on Kellen Mond's grave and say, oh, see, this is the Kellen Mond we've we've known. He just he shrinks at the big moment. He has a bad game, and nothing's changed with the senior quarterback. Since that game, we've seen a calm and cool and poised Kellen Mond, and he's not doing anything that, you know, that not forcing anything. He's just taking what's there, and he's doing it with a very inexperienced receiving core. Obviously, Jalen Watermeyer's a, a big target at tight end, but what have you seen from Mond in recent weeks? Honestly, I started having uh, more positive feelings about him because of the Alabama game. You go back and look at the numbers from that game. He played well. He threw for 330 yards, threw three touchdown passes. He looked good. He just got no help. You know, when Mac Jones is sitting on the other side going bombs away every other play, 
it's a it's very difficult to look good. And he had a, a, an interception return for a touchdown where the the wideout Jalen Preston ran the wrong route and it didn't come back. You know that was basically the end of Jalen Preston. You haven't seen him since, which tells you a lot. Uh, you know, but Mon just seems calmer this year. He's more decisive. The apprehension that you saw, you saw on the field, the happy feet, that's gone. If he sees an opportunity to cut things up and run the ball when he's under pressure, he does it. If he sees a guy open, he doesn't hesitate. He lets it rip. It, you know, he's throwing the ball more accurately. He's throwing the ball with some zip. But more, more importantly, he's throwing the ball with conviction. He's playing with conviction. And that's something that A&M fans have been waiting for. And, you know, hey, five total touchdowns uh, Saturday night in a road game you know, that's very hard to complain about. Defensively, I, I still go back to just looking at the numbers. You hold a team in the SEC to 150 yards of offense. It's mighty impressive. Say what you want about Colin Hill and, you know, the Gamecock passing game, but, you know, Harris is one of the better running backs in the SEC, and for them to keep him in check, uh, I thought Mike Elko did a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really think that they have become what – Jimbo has been looking for. They're, they have become a team that if you go up against them and try to run first, they're going to stop you. And you, you take a look at the numbers. The only team that ran on them was Arkansas. And what did Arkansas do? They took a bye week and totally revamped their offense so A&M had no film on them. Uh, you know, they, they added Felipe Franks in the running game. On the other hand, Alabama couldn't run on them. Obviously, Bandy didn't run on them. Mississippi State, you know, we'll, we'll just skip them because they can't run on anybody. But you know, you go up against Kevin Harris, a guy who had really big success against some other SEC opponents, and with the exception of one run, uh, you know, he had negative yardage essentially, and the team just did nothing. You know, that that's very, very impressive. And the thing is, you know, they're they're not doing anything dynamic up front. They're just putting four guys up there with two linebackers, and the linemen are holding up. The linebackers are making plays, and it's just very simple, basic stuff. And that's what's been the most impressive about this team. They're not doing anything overly exciting. They're just sitting there doing fundamental football, and that's been enough not just to beat teams, but you know, physically impose their will on them. Yeah, a win is a win, but my goodness, 41 points against Florida, 42 against Arkansas, 48 against South Carolina. you got to be impressed with what Jimbo is doing with this offense. Looking ahead, Mark, uh, road game against Tennessee this week. I know they've opened as a double-digit favorite, but then home games against Ole Miss, LSU, and then the finale of the road game at Auburn. We'll see where Auburn is at that point, if they're even still ranked by then, but I got to feel like the Aggies are going to be favored in these four remaining games, and that doesn't mean they're absolutely going to win them. But you got to love their chances to finish this thing out unscathed. Well, you know things are certainly working out in their favor so far. You take a look at the schedule, the way it shaped up at the beginning. You're you're thinking, oh, geez, this is a death march. You've got you know <laughs> possibly the two best teams in the SEC weeks two and three, and they they come out splitting that. You know, you, you got to be pretty happy at that point. But then LSU's defense implodes. Ole Miss never had a defense. Uh, t- Tennessee looks just absolutely lost on offense. Uh, you know, and then Auburn, what Auburn team is going to show up? I mean, you know, they went into williams Bryce and lost to a team that A&M just beat by 45. It, it, you know, so certainly things look like they're going to be work out well in A&M's favor if they continue to do the things that they've done lately. Just go out there, play fundamental football, 
beat people at the line of scrimmage. And if you do those simple things, you know, the, the, this, this possibly very complicated game becomes real simple. And that's what they've been able to do so far. And honestly, you take a look at the defenses that are left, who's going to stop them? That's the, the real question. You know, there, there isn't any real dynamic defense out there. They've already played it. So, you know, I think that you've got to like their chances at this, at this point. Can it get them to the playoffs? Maybe not. But, you know, a New Year's Day six bowl, I don't think is too, out of the question. All right, last thing for you, Mark. Help me out here with the rankings that have come out. We saw the AP rankings come out, and they've got A&M at number five behind Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Alabama. Makes sense. They're ahead of Florida. The coaches poll has Florida at number five, A&M at number six. Help me out understand here why a team you beat head-to-head stays ahead of you. Because the interns that make the coaches polls are dumb. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of uh, Aggie fans are scratching their head when they saw that one uh, come out. But, hey, so be it. I mean, if Florida stays on this pace, they're going to play Alabama in the SEC title game, and if they lose that one, that gives them multiple losses. A&M can move right ahead of them at that point. So all the Aggies need to do is keep winning and hope other teams keep losing, and they could certainly be right there in the conversation at the end of the year. Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com. Uh, let our listeners know what they can get over at the website. Well, we got an awful lot of uh, football coverage right now for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, we'll be covering the team from top to bottom. Certainly looking at the matchup coming up with Tennessee. This will be the first time A&M's ever gone to Knoxville, which is kind of cool. And uh, obviously recruiting is heating up. They're in on a couple of five-star prospects. So, you know, we'll have all that stuff covered. So please, by all means, stop by and check us out. Awesome, Mark. Great stuff, man. Great to uh, catch up with you. You betcha, buddy. Thanks a lot. Mark Passwaters there of uh, AggieYell.com does a great job covering the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. All right, before we get out of here, I want to uh, run through just some of the early betting lines in the conference. Early betting lines. All right, only two games that are not double-digit favorites going into this weekend. Georgia opens as a nine-point favorite at Mizzou. Seems like a lot of points for a team that has their quarterback struggles right now for Georgia, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Vandy is at Kentucky. Kentucky opens as a 17-point home favorite. We'll see how uh, the Wildcats look if they can get their defense back going against that uh, young and inexperienced Vandy uh, quarterback in Ken Seals who just threw three interceptions. The Aggies, as we mentioned, open as a 12-point favorite on the road at Tennessee. Tennessee dealing with their quarterback struggles and the Aggies on a roll. Auburn is a 10-point favorite on the road at Mississippi State. Of course, the Bulldogs looked a little bit better offensively this past week, but it was Vandy. Alabama, this is the big one. I can't, can't believe they open as a 22-point favorite on the road at LSU. That is the biggest this line has been in a really long time. The question will be for LSU, is Miles Brennan going to start? If Miles Brennan doesn't play at quarterback and they need to go with one of the true freshmen, you know Alabama wants to pay back LSU for what happened last year and beating them in their house. Alabama's going to run it up on offense. Can the LSU offense keep up? That's the question. Uh, Florida's a 17-point home favorite against Arkansas. My initial thought when I see that line is that is way too many. Arkansas is a good team. I know Florida just got – they've been rolling on offense and they just put up a lot of points on Georgia, but Arkansas is not to be trifled with. Barry Odom's got that defense playing well. Uh, 17 just seems like a lot. And then lastly, Ole Miss is a seven-point home favorite uh, playing host host to South Carolina. Of course, we just saw South Carolina get beat by a million against A&M, so I'm actually surprised that's not 
a little bit higher, although we know Ole Miss's defense is one of the worst in the country. So there you have it. Those are some of your early betting lines looking at some of the games this weekend. That is going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. Remember to subscribe. We are here for you five days a week. Pull us up on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that little subscribe button. You'll get a fresh episode every day, five days a week. And uh, keep, keep all things talking SEC. want to remind you, too, we got some buddies doing some of the other school podcasts. Our buddy John Neighbors does Locked on Razorbacks, if you're looking to find out a little bit about Arkansas. And for some of the Alabama fans out there, maybe you want a little scouting report on LSU. Our buddy Matt Moscona hosts Locked on LSU. You can search for that as well. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Another great week of guests coming your way this week. My thanks to Mark Passwaters for taking some time out. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.